I need, okay, I just feel like I need to do this today. I need someone to come up here and pray for me specifically as I get ready to preach this word. And then someone, then another person to come up and pray for you so that you will be ready to hear the word. All right, that means two people who are, who are okay with praying out loud in front of people. And that would be like now. I need you to come up. All right, who is, okay, we got Blake right here. That's awesome. Blake, who are you going to pray for? Who do you want? You want to pray? You pray for me, and I'll let her pray for the rest of the people, okay? Unless you want to pray. Yeah, yeah, not by name, all of them by name, but just in general. <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right, pray with me, guys. Awesome, God, thank you for this day. God, we want to give everything to you. We want to give this service to you, and in that, I ask that you will speak through Brady, and you'll use him, that it's not going to be Brady speaking to us, but it's going to be you. God, we love you so much, and we give all of it to you, so please just speak to us today. Thank you. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to um, outstretch my arms and join them together with yours as we rejoice in a joyous day that we get, to get, we get to get up in the morning and praise an awesome God, that we get to say hi to you every morning and good night to you, and that you let us breathe one more day to sing your praises and to work out the difficulties that we have in our life. It's not always an easy road to follow you, but it is the only road that leads to life mm. and eternal happiness. Mm. And so, God, as we go through the struggles and the daily trials, and you are teach, teaching us the fruits of the Spirit to have patience and love and joy and kindness and humility and all of the things, the long-suffering, remind us that it is for a great and worthy cause. And it's not about us. <clears throat> and, Lord, I just pray that... Um, you would just remind us every day to try and be positive, even in spite of the weather and attitudes are bad, and help us just to remember that uh, everyone in this world you love more than anything else. So thank you, and good morning, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much. Awesome. Go ahead. Have a seat. I used to do that a lot when I would speak in front of, like, teenagers and I always love to call out young people to help let them speak because it was, those were the reason, they were the reason why I was there. So I wanted them to, to be able to hear their peers. And so it's nice to have other people get up and speak and pray. So we are almost done with our series that we've been doing called the Habits for Holiness or the Spiritual Disciplines. And we have this week and next week, and then we'll, we'll finish up our time in that particular series. Today, it's called Traveling Together, the Practice of Spiritual Leadership. The Practice of Spiritual Leadership. First of all, I love this thought. I love the thought of traveling together. Because that, that's what it is that we're doing in life. We are traveling together. We're not alone. We have each other. Uh, just, just the scenarios that I know about even in my head this morning. People have come with each other to church. Someone come and pick them up and they've traveled with them together here to church. Maybe you came separately, maybe you uh, came with other people, I don't know. But, uh, but, but the fact is, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, we're not living this life alone. We are together in this, and it's just not the pastor doing his thing and everybody else doing their own thing, but we are doing it together, reaching out to our community, trying to make a difference in the world that we live in, and we do it. And Jesus didn't travel by himself. 
It's interesting, I, I uh, had a conversation uh, just a few days ago with someone that came to church for the first time last week. And this particular person said, yeah, hey, my wife finally drug me out of bed and got me to come to church. And I'm, I'm not really a church goer. And I said, hey, you know, that's good news because all of the people Jesus called to follow him, they weren't really church goers either. So you're in pretty good company. You know, we're all together. We're traveling together in this life. And that's, that's awesome news. So as we get ready to jump into this thing about spiritual leadership, I might have been called to be the pastor of this church. So therefore, you might say, well, Brady is the leader of the church. But we are all called to lead in some capacity. No matter what position you have in life, you are, are all called to lead in some capacity because leadership is influence. And you all have somebody in your life that you influence. And I'll give you just an example of some of those things. Husbands and wives influence each other. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Sometimes it's positive. Sometimes it's negative. I'm not talking about us. I mean, it's always positive, right, honey? Like we, we influence each other. Parents influence their kids. You know that's true. I don't know. I can't even remember where I was at. But just recently, I was somewhere where they were playing a lot of country music. Oh, I know where it was at. I was in the coffee shop over in Weston. All right. Oddly enough, I, I don't just sit in the hot tub every day. I like actually go somewhere else occasionally. I was in this coffee shop over in Weston. And the song came on. Uh, it's an old Rodney Atkins song called Watching You. Anybody heard that song before? Watching You. All right. Google it. And so they're in the car. He, he has to stop all of a sudden. The kid spills his chicken nuggets and french fries and whatever. And he says a four-letter word. And the dad was like, where did you learn to talk like that? And the son was like, well, I've been watching you, dad. And then at the end of the song, he catches his kid praying, like talking to God like he was his friend. And he said, hey, man, where did you learn to pray like that? And his little boy said, dad, I've been watching you. So parents influence their kids. Which, by the way, is a shameless plug for next week. If you are a parent, don't miss being here next week. It's, it's going to um, be good. Grandparents influence their grands. I like to think that my wife and I have a, an influence on our little, our little granddaughters. I never miss a chance whenever Amelia's with me when she's going to bed at night to pray over her. And she expects me to pray over her. Like, she won't let me get away with not praying over her and praying that God will protect her. And she's being influenced by that. She, and then our kids influence us, right? They challenge us and they encourage us. We're here in a school, okay? Teachers have influence over their students. That's true, isn't it, Jennifer? Teachers have influence. It's probably a bunch of sixth grade girls walking around with spiked up hair now. Because they're teachers. <laughs> <We're not. laughs> teachers have incredible influence over their students. Coaches, any coaches in the room? Coaches have a huge impact on their players. When I was in seventh grade, this football coach was just yelling at me. And he told me, Testorf, if I ever stop yelling at you, that means I'm done with you. So if I'm still yelling, that means there's still hope for you. And I remember that to this day. He had an impact on me. Here's a plug for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. 
If you don't know anything about the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, you have to understand how they influence coaches to influence their players. And so I encourage you to, to get involved. Uh, Ryan Campbell, are you here? Back there. Ryan, stand up real quick. Everybody look back here. Let's put a spotlight on him. All right, this is Ryan Campbell. Ryan Campbell is the director for Northwest Missouri for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Ryan is touching the lives of coaches who are touching the lives of students all over this area. And if you want to put your money in a good place, invest in Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Support Ryan. Yeah, amen. Like, yeah. Support him because if he, if he touches a coach, that coach touches 100 players. And, and it's, it's incredible. It's a great impact. And so I encourage you to be a part of that. He did not ask me to do that. He did not slip me any money, anything like that. I promise. Peer-to-peer -peer influence. We have influence on one another, right? In school, pick good friends. Walk with the wise. You grow wise. You hang out with fools. You're going to suffer. It's not any different when you get to be an adult. The people we hang around with, the people we spend time with, influence us, and they have an effect on us. If you're an employer, you have influence on your employees. Social media platforms have influence in the world. You, what people see about you online has an influence on other people. Can I get an amen or an oh my? <laughs> so, now, what, about, what are the qualifications for one of a leader? So for, for just one, I just, I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you. That is a, um, it's just the qualifications of someone who wants to be an overseer, someone who wants to be in leadership, someone who wants to be a person of influence, especially when it comes to the faith. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. The say, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer or a pastor, in this particular context, a pastor or a bishop, someone who has influence over the church. Therefore, it must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Now, some people will argue, well, that means a pastor can't be divorced and whatever. In this particular context, I think it's really talking about you should only have one wife. You shouldn't have multiple wives. I mean, men, seriously, we can't even keep one happy. I mean, how can we even keep more than one happy? We know that's true. You got to be self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. Yes, I'm talking about you guys. Under control until they get to a certain age and they're like, they're on their own. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, so someone that's just new to the faith. He might be, become conceited and incur the same condemnation, condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace in the devil's trap. And so I use that, um, for one, as a, as a litmus test for me, you know, to making sure that I'm those things. And then as we look at people to be in leadership in the church and have influence over others, um, we look at that as well. Some churches will say, well, if you come into the church and you want to be in leadership, you've got to give it some time. You can't, it's not necessarily, you, you might be old in your faith, but you might be new to the, the, the body, this particular body, and give it some time to see 
kind of make sure that we, we, we match, our personalities match, and that your calling matches with our, with our needs. Spiritual leadership is the nature of the nudge, okay? Nudge somebody next to you if you have someone next to you. And so it's, it's this desire for us to nudge people, to influence people to be a little bit closer to Jesus, okay? And so you ask yourself this question, do my actions, do my words honor the one who's placed us in that influential position? That's a good question to ask. Am I honoring God? Is my life, okay, I'm talking about your true life, who you are truly, not, not what people think of you, what people see of you on the outside, but who you are really, is it honoring to God? Now, I listen, right away for me, there are some things that God's like pointing the finger at. It's like, Brady, deal with those issues. These are some areas where you need to work on them. And, and that's good news, right? It's good news for all of us. We all have those areas in our life. And so because it's the nature of the nudge, ask yourself, am I nudging people closer to Jesus or am I causing people to fall away? Husbands, are you nurturing your wives and drawing them and nudging them closer to Jesus? Wives, the same way with your husband, with your children. In the Bible, there's all kinds of stories about a king's position and leadership and how it influenced their country. As goes the king, goes the kingdom, right? And so there's some interesting stories. Turn in your Bible, if you will, to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. Let's start in, verse, or in chapter 24. We're just going to run through fairly quickly here some stories about people in spiritual leadership or in leadership places and the influence and the impact that they had on, uh, on their people and how it teaches us some lessons today. There's some valuable things that we can learn from it today. And let's start in 2 Chronicles 24. We're not going to read all the way through all these chapters. I'm just going to give you some highlights, okay? And so just follow along from that, that particular chapter. First of all, let's start with the first king. His name was Joash. Joash was seven years old when he became king. Hello. Do you know any seven-year-olds you want in charge of the kingdom? Do you have any seven-year-olds in your house that try to take over your kingdom in your home? <laughs> you know, but now obviously at that particular time he had someone that was walking with him to help him, and his name was Jehoiada, and we'll talk about him in just a minute. So listen to what it says. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zabiah, or Zabiah. She was from Beersheba. Throughout the time of the priest Jehoiada, Joash did what was right in the Lord's sight, Joy, Jehoiada, it says, acquired two wives for him and was the father of sons and daughters. So you got this young man. He eventually obviously grew up. He got wives. He had children. It says, afterward, Joash took it to heart to re renovate the Lord's temple. So that was his particular calling and his influence was to restore the temple to its greatness because it had fallen into disrepair because kings before him had allowed that to happen. And Joash said, we're going to make this we're going to make this thing beautiful again. Look at verse 13. The workmen did their work, and through them the repairs progressed. They restored God's temple to its specifications and reinforced it. But then listen to what happened. Verse 15. 
Jehoiada, this priest who was such an influence on Joash's life, died. When he was an old and full of days, he was 130 years old at his death. He was buried in the city of David with the kings because he had done what was good in Israel with respect to God and his temple. He used his position of leadership and influence wisely. However, after Jehoiada died, the rulers of Judah came and paid homage to the king. The king then listened to them, and they abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and served the Asherah poles, meaning they, they began to worship false gods and idols. It's like totem poles. They begin to worship man-made images or man-made creations as opposed to the one who created man. So there was wrath against Judah and Jerusalem for the guilt of theirs. Nevertheless, he sent them prophets to bring them back to the Lord. They admonished them. So people came to them and said, what are you doing? You have taken this influence that you have and you've turned it around now. Now you're not following God at all. You're following these false gods. You must stop. But listen to what it says. But the people would not listen. The Spirit of God enveloped Zechariah, son of Jehoiada, the priest. All right, So you had the priest, now he has his son Zechariah. He stood above the people and said to them, This is what God says. Why are you transgressing the Lord's commands so that you do not prosper? Because you have abandoned the Lord, he has abandoned you. But they conspired against him and stoned him at the king's command in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. King Joash didn't remember the kindness of Zechariah's father, Jehoiada, had extended to him, but killed his son while he was dying. He said, may the Lord see and demand an account. And the Lord did see, and he did demand an account. Because it says later on in, um, in this chapter, the verse 24, middle way through there, it says, because the people of Judah had abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, so they executed judgment on Joash. They were attacked, and Joash was injured, verse 25. When the Arminians saw that Joash had many wounds, they left him. His servants conspired against him and killed him on his bed because he had shed the blood of the sons of the priest of Jehoiada. So he died, and they buried him. Joash started out doing the right thing. His influence was used for good, and then he was influenced by other people. Listen, not everyone wants what is best for you when you're in leadership. Not everyone that comes to you and gives you wisdom and advice really wants what's best for you or what's best for the Lord. And you have to weigh that out. You have to, you have to filter that through God's word and some other wise counsel. Joash was easily influenced by evil people. And Joash also experienced something that's so true of many leaders. Leadership can corrupt. It can corrupt you to the point of you thinking, well, I'm the leader. I can do whatever I want to do. Uh-uh. <laughs> No, you can't. Matter of fact, you're called to a greater amount of accountability if you're in a position of leadership. You can't just do whatever you want to do. Dads, you can't just do whatever you want to do. You have to consider the person next to you. You have to consider your children, how it's going to affect them. You cannot just do whatever you want to do. Next king, look at this. Amaziah became king when he was 25 years old. This is in chapter 25. Became king when he was 25 years old. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadan. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight. I love this. I love this. Thinking about last week, about being all in. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, but not wholeheartedly. <laughs> He's just kind of halfway in. You know, if you're here last week, remember, he wasn't all the way in the batter's box. 
He did what was right, but not his heart wasn't fully in it. As soon as the kingdom was fairly in grasp, he executed his servants who had killed his father, the king. However, he did not put their children to death because it is written in the law in the book of Moses where the Lord commanded, fathers are not to die because of children and children are not to die because of fathers because each one will die for his own sin. You are accountable for your own leadership. You are accountable for your own influence. Not what your parents have done. Parents, listen, when your kids grow up and they want to make some decisions you're not necessarily proud of, it's on them. At some point, you have to say, I'm not responsible for that. I taught them the right things. I love them and I showed them the best that I could. But eventually, they're accountable for their own choices. Is that true? Some of you need to be released to that because you're holding on to that and you're still trying to fix your children. I'm not saying wash your hands of them, but I'm saying, you know what? At some point, I'm saying, you know what? That's between you and the Lord. And you're going to stand before him someday and be accountable for your choices, just like I will. You know, in all these scenarios, the wages of sin, no matter who you are and what it is you're doing, is always death. It's always death. No matter what position that you have. Chapter 25, verse 27. Let's just skip through. There's a lot of stuff that was going on at that particular time. But listen to this, Amaziah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord in the beginning, but then in verse 27, from the time Amaziah turned from following the Lord, a conspiracy was formed against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. However, men were sent after him there, and they put him to death. So his sin caused death. <laughs> Judah, listen, listen to this, Judah's um, new king is Uzziah. This is verse, chapter 26. All the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the place of his father, Amaziah. After Amaziah the king rested with his fathers, Uzziah rebuilt Eloth and restored it to Judah. Uzziah was 16 years, old, 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jokaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God throughout the lifetime of Zechariah, the teacher of the fear of God. During the time that he sought the Lord, God gave him success. It's a great picture. He had a unique gift, Uzziah did. Look at verse 15 in chapter 26. He made skillfully designed devices in Jerusalem to shoot arrows and, a catapult, and catapult large stones for use on towers and on the corners. So his fame spread even to distant places, for he was wondrously helped until... Listen, until he became strong. But when he became strong, he grew arrogant and it led to his own destruction. He acted unfaithfully against the Lord his God by going into the Lord's sanctuary to burn incense on the incense altar. It's like he said, you know what? I know that that's what the priests are called to do, but I'm the king, I'm the leader, I can do whatever I want to do. And he did something he wasn't called to do. He got out of line, he got out of position in his own particular leadership. And you know what happened to him? For one, it says he got angry when he got confronted by them. And then it says a rash broke out onto his head and he was diseased till he died. Because pride always comes, right, before the fall. <laughs> especially when it comes to leaders. And we, for, we cannot forget who placed us in the place of leadership in the first place. We cannot forget that it wasn't us, that God has placed us there. He's called us to that leadership position. Chapter 27, we'll keep moving here. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 16 years 
in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord's sight, just as his father Uzziah had done. In addition, he didn't enter the Lord's sanctuary, but the people still behaved corruptly. You know what? Even if you are the leader and you're doing the right thing, it might be that other people around you aren't. And sometimes you just can't do anything about that. Once again, it's not about what it is that they're doing. It's about you being responsible for your own choices and your own actions. Don't compare yourself to other people. You do what it is God has called you to do. Do what is right regardless of what others are doing and what others are thinking. It says later on in verse 6 that Jotham strengthened his position because he did not waver in obeying the Lord his God. There was no, like, sad ending for him because he walked in obedience and he did what was right before the Lord's eyes. Chapter 28, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what was right in the Lord's sight like his ancestor David, for he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made cast images of the Baals. He burned incense in Ben-Hinnom, in the Ben-Hinnom Valley. And listen to this. He burned his children in the fire, imitating the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord dispossessed before the Israelites. He sacrificed his own children. Sacrificed his own children. I'm not going to go too far with this, but I know way too many dads have, have given up the rights to their family to go on and do something else. Maybe they didn't throw their kids into the fire, into a real literal fire, but they left them behind to fend for themselves and let their mom take care of them. Listen, men. God has given us a mantle of leadership for a reason. And it's so vital that you stay in the mix with your kids. Stay in the mix with your kids. Don't advocate that responsibility to somebody else who is not called to that. Be there. So the Lord handed Ahaz over to the king of Aram. Of course he did. He just handed him over. He said, you know what? You're not going to get away with that poor behavior. You're going to suffer for it. And he did. Let's turn it over to the next chapter, right before, verse, right before chapter 29, which is where I'm going to finish with the, the kings. It says that Ahaz sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him. He basically said, well, if I can't beat them, I'll just join them. I'll just do what they're doing because it's just the easier way to go. But it says they were the downfall of him and all of Israel. Chapter 29. Hezekiah was 25 years old. He's my, one of my, he's my favorite king, other than maybe King David. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. That's interesting daughter of Zechariah. Was she the daughter of the prophet Zechariah? I tried to do some research on that, didn't find a definitive answer. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. And he told the people, he said, go and remove, this is down in um, 
looks like verse 5, kind of towards the end of verse 5. He told him to go remove everything impure from the holy place, for our fathers were unfaithful and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They abandoned God. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. And he said, let's go and let's clean house. It's time to, it's time to fix what is broken here. Look at verse 20 in chapter 29. King Hezekiah got up early, gathered the city officials, went to the Lord's temple. They brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats as a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine what it would look like in this place if we started bringing in live animals? All right, let's bring in an animal for every person and for all of their sin, and we're going to bring them in, and we're going to sacrifice them right here. Can you imagine that would be the last day we would have worship here at the school? Because it would be too big of a mess. Too big of a mess. Listen, look down at verse 23. Then they brought the goats for the sin offering right into the presence of the king and the congregation who laid their hands on them. The priests slaughtered the goats and put their blood on the altar for a sin offering to make a, an atonement for all Israel. For the king said that the burnt offering and sin offering were all for Israel. Do you know this is a beautiful picture of who Jesus is for you and me? That the sin of the world was placed upon Jesus. It was like they placed the, their, their hands upon Jesus and all the sin was transferred to him. His blood was spilled on the cross to be an atonement for all of us. His blood covered all of our sin. Do you see that? Do you get that picture here? It is an incredible picture. It's a good thing because Jesus did that once for all people. We don't have to keep sacrificing animals anymore because Jesus has already been sacrificed for you and me. Jesus is the scapegoat. He takes the sin of the world, takes it outside the city, and he's crucified on a cross, and his blood gives purification for the sins of mankind, for you and for me. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? We need to be reminded of that picture. It says that the whole assembly was worshiping. This is in verse 28. You can tell I'm a little excited about that particular point. The whole assembly was worshiping, singing the song, and blowing the trumpets. And they, it just continued until all the offerings were offered. They sang praises with rejoicing and knelt low, and they worshiped. That's a worship service, y'all. They were reminded of how things used to be and how terrible things were and how Hezekiah's leadership and his influence was producing so much incredible things. The results were amazing. Listen to this. He told them, he says, serve the Lord your God so that he may turn away his burning anger away from you. For when you return to the Lord, your brothers and sons will receive mercy in the presence of their captors and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful. He will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. You know that when you return to Jesus, when you give your heart to Jesus, it not only affects you, it affects people that you know and that you live with. It affects people that you don't, haven't even met yet. There's a, there is a, there is a, um, a ripple effect when you begin to turn your face away from what life used to be and like the way life is supposed to be. And your influence changes. It's been incredible. The results were amazing. Look at uh, chapter 30, verse 26. We're almost done. There was a great rejoicing in Jerusalem, for nothing like this was done since the days of Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel. Then the priests and the Levites stood. They blessed the people. God heard them, and their prayer came into his holy dwelling place in heaven. When we worship like that, when we come before him and we, we allow him to have his way in us, God hears it in heaven. 
It moves, it influences God. That's an incredible thought, that our worship influences God. When all this was completed, it says, all of Israel who attended walked by and said, nice service, pastor. And they went back to their homes and that was it. No. Listen to what they did. They went out to the cities of Judah. They broke up the sacred pillars, chopped down those totem poles, tore down the high places and altars throughout Judea and Benjamin, as well in Ephraim and Manasseh. To the last one, they left nothing standing that was not of God, was not honoring to God at all. And in some way, my encouragement to you is to walk out of this place today and go home and do the same thing. I'm not talking about go burn your records like they did in the 70s or whatever, you know, but go home and rid your home of anything that does not bring honor to God. Do it today. Don't wait any longer because your influence, the, the way those things are influencing other people, if they're not of the Lord, they're not good. They're not good. I'm preaching to myself too, not just to you. Quick sidebar. Don't put leaders on a pedestal. They are humans. Do not put me on a pedestal. Because I'm human and I will fail you. When a leader fails, they suffer and so does the people they are leading. A leader's failure does not warrant our judgment towards them. Because listen, you don't know the whole story. It's real easy to sit back and, mm-hmm, yeah, I see, I know. I knew that was going to happen. Pray for those who have fallen. Forgive those who have hurt you if they've used their influence in a negative way in your life. Forgive them. For God is willing to forgive you. <laughs> Someone's poor spiritual leadership does not justify our sin or our poor behavior. Well, look at them. Look what they're doing. I don't even have to live that life anymore. I can do whatever I want because this person was supposed Look at Brady. Brady made a mistake. Therefore, I get to make mistakes. Mm-mm. No. Because <laughs> you're accountable for your own choices, and I'm accountable for mine. Love this quote. Hopefully someone else's shipwreck can be a beacon of light to you. <laughs> See somebody else fall and go into flames. You're like, whoa, lesson learned, not going there. My big brother gave me plenty of those when we were younger. <laughs> because here's the deal, y'all. Jesus' character and leadership is the standard, not mine. Not people more famous than me. Jesus' character, his love and his leadership is your standard. Model yourself after that. So what do we do with all this information that we've learned today? Well, in the book, Habits for Holiness, it gives three things that we can do. We can start doing them now. Pray. Give wholehearted effort. And be among the people. Be among the people. Jesus was among the people. He did all these things, by the way. He prayed. He gave wholehearted effort completely. And Jesus got his hands dirty. He got into the mess of humanity. Don't be afraid of those that are around you that are messy. 
Get involved, love them, hug them, touch them, give them a ride, do whatever it is you need to do, but get, in the, get involved, influence them, nudge them towards Jesus. And if you've blown it in some of these areas and you feel like you've kind of squandered some leadership opportunities, welcome to the club. There's good news for you today. There is a common theme in the Bible And here's the common theme. God will always accept people who return to him no matter how wicked they have become. Can I get an amen? No matter where you've been, what it is that you've done, who you are this moment. First or second Peter chapter three. Trish, do me a favor. Would you go let Don know we're getting close? Second Peter chapter three says, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you know in these kings' story, God's desire for all of them were to walk in righteousness till the day they died. That was his desire for them. And he rewarded them when they did, but he also punished them when they didn't. Hey, listen, God is patient. He wants everyone to come to repentance, but there's going to come a day when we're going to be out of time. We're all going to be out of time. And don't wait, because the Bible says right after this passage of Scripture, that's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to be just that fast. God will not waste any part of your story. Hear this. God will not waste any part of your story, the pain and the success. He desires that you allow him to influence others to experience the same love, grace, and mercy that you have received from God. Use your story to influence others. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be afraid of it. Walk into it and say, God has redeemed me. This is who I am. This is what he's doing to me right now. And because of that, he can also change you too. He also loves you as much as he loves me. Don't waste it. Give it to him. 